Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Laura Copley, and this is Tough Love, a podcast where we explore all things related to toxic relationships, trauma bonding, healing, and transformative growth. I don't know what time it is for you where you are listening, but for me, it is bright and early on this almost spring day, and the sun is coming up behind me. My mornings are so sacred to me right now. Um, It is something new that I have found for myself, how much I actually enjoy waking up early before uh, the rest of my house. I mean, even my golden retriever is still asleep. (laughs) Growing up, I would sleep into the very last minute and then just be in a rush. I would rush to school. I mean, even in young adulthood, rush to college. I did this for the longest time. It has only been in my 30s when I was, okay, catapulted into my own healing journey that I began having a more intentional time with myself. And I was sitting here with my hot tea. It's not my favorite tea today, but that's okay. Uh, With a splash of milk and honey, just reflecting on the peace I feel with just myself right now. The safety and stillness, which would have been paralyzing at various different points in my life. My own dysfunctional relationship dynamics growing up sent me on a wild ride, for lack of a better word, of codependency and distrust, pendulum swinging between not knowing how to be alone to pushing everyone away so they could never hurt me. Early childhood attachment styles, trauma bonding, relationship ruptures, and Relationship traumas all played a role in my mangled, disorganized way of relating to myself and others. So it got me thinking around the topic that I wanted to be uh, sharing with you all today. In today's episode, we are going to start to pull apart how we look at dysfunctional aspects of our relationships and how that impacted us throughout our life. And I think, I mean, my podcast is going to be so much about various different topics relating to relationship ruptures and heartbreak and rejection and betrayal and all of those things that can demolish us. But before we even get there, I feel it was really important to give you some language and how to describe some of these experiences. And if it feels like they align with you, um, with things that you have encountered throughout your life, then that's your next stepping stone. You'll have some more language to use to explain these experiences. And I just thought that that would be an important part, um, initially getting the ball rolling with this podcast. So before we get started, I want to just preface, dysfunction happens. Dysfunction happens both in abusive families and also well-meaning families. Dysfunction shows up in our relationships and between people who also have malice in their hearts and also with people who have genuinely good souls. So when we explore this, I want to be very careful not to push you on an on some sort of agenda that all the people in your life are terrible or narcissistic or abusers or, you know, flip it that that you're not terrible or narcissistic or some sort of abuser. Some people might have put you through unforgivable things. I recognize that. 
other people, you may see these tendencies or patterns that are harmful, but that you understand as signs of something that is unhealed or unreconciled in them. Maybe you even see some of those painful tendencies in yourself. Well-meaning people with big hearts can also be unhealed and we can hurt each other. So this isn't about labeling. This isn't about calling anybody an abuser or a victim. It's just about getting some new language to describe certain experiences, whether they've been done to you or maybe you have partaken in them. When we know better, we do better. So if this feels right to you, if this episode feels right to you, let's explore more about the different types of relationship dysfunction. This is your weekly dose of tough love. Now, I have seen dysfunction happen in a variety of ways, both in my personal life and in my practice. Dysfunction in relationships may look different from one another because relationship dynamics can be complex. We can see relationship dysfunction look like extreme sibling rivalries, favoritism, recurring parent-child conflicts. We see them happening as uh, blurred boundaries, meaning either these boundaries are painfully rigid rules and expectations and punishments, or boundaries are almost completely dissolved and we form these codependent, overly enmeshed identities with our partner or even our parent. Dysfunction can look like children being parentified, or you know what, even one person taking on the role of a parent in your romantic relationship. It can look like triangulation. Now, what's triangulation? To put it simply, it is when there is an issue between two individuals, and then a third person is called upon as a rescuer, or sometimes to gang up on the scapegoat. It can look like control issues or avoidant issues, mental illness, such as personality disorders. It can absolutely be those extreme cases like domestic violence and abuse, alcohol and drug abuse. Dysfunction can look like extramarital affairs. And it can also look like poor work-life balance that impacts our connection with each other, with our partner or with our children. I mean, I'm looking over, I'm looking over my notes right now and this list that I have. I mean, even as I'm talking about some of these things, I can see at various points in, in my life, I can check off some of these dysfunctional tendencies within myself. There was absolutely a time where I experienced blurred boundaries and triangulation in my childhood home. I can see my avoidant patterns in my adult relationships where I pushed other people away. And at one point, I, I did struggle with a poor work-life balance. I, I was running from intimacy and hiding in my work. So this is, I guess this is me right now reminding you that you are not a terrible person, nor did you necessarily come from a terrible family if some of these markers are present. But they probably did impact you, and maybe some of these tendencies still have left a mark on your life. And as you can probably tell, 
these dysfunctions can also fall on the spectrum from mild to severe. Even within each of these markers that I just listed, some of these examples, they can be less extreme and more extreme cases. There can be single episodes of some of these things happening or reoccurring patterns. Something that impacted you a certain way can have a different impact on someone else going through a similar event. I mean, humans are unique and complex. And this is why it's important to have language that feels aligned to your unique story and the complexities of your experiences. When I work with my clients on the patterns and tendencies and reactions that show up in their relationships, something that appears to be helpful is learning new language that describes not just the event that happened, but how that event imprinted itself in their minds and bodies. So let's talk about some various terminology that might give you more insight into your interpersonal experiences. So first one I want to talk about is attachment style. In other words, how we learn to connect in childhood. We can have a secure attachment style or different types of insecure attachment styles. So a secure bond formed early in life means that you as a child felt loved, nurtured, you felt protected by your caregivers. It means that you knew you were safe. It means that you could rely on them. If you felt a secure attachment, you, you probably were a child that explored and played more. Um, you, you used your caregiver as a base from which to embark on all of your adventures of the world. It's interesting, right? Those that have more of a secure base feel safe enough within themselves and within their life to take risks and to explore the world, knowing that if anything happens, they'll be okay. Now, this does not mean that you are happy-go-lucky all the time. It does not mean that you didn't miss your parents when they dropped you off at a new babysitter's or daycare. Children who are securely attached, they can still show signs of distress when their caregiver leaves a room, but they quickly settle and compose themselves when their caregiver returns. You see, it's, it's about the reunion. These children trust their parents enough to allow the repair to happen. And as adults, we feel safe to connect. We get hurt. Absolutely. We still get hurt. We hurt when there is a rupture. But we also are capable of receiving opportunities to repair. As Side note on this one. As long as our partner is also showing up wanting the repair and doing the work. As adults, we are better able to navigate long-term relationships when we come from a secure attachment style in childhood. We have fewer trust issues. We have greater self-esteem. We enjoy engaging and connecting openly with others, and we feel safe to reciprocate feelings. There are three different kinds of insecure attachment styles in children. If you had more of an ambivalent, anxious, preoccupied style, you might notice 
as a child that you had an ongoing and urgent need to cling to your caregivers. These children are in a state of panic around separation. They are anxious and guarded around strangers. These children, we notice them exhibit distress when their caregiver leaves, which is normal. But this is the part that's interesting. They remain ambivalent. They cannot be soothed when their parents return. Because remember, it's all about that reunion. Those with this anxious, preoccupied attachment, they are not reassured upon the reunion. Now, when caregivers are not emotionally available, when they're not consistent with the affection that they give, children may develop another type of insecure attachment called avoidant and dismissive attachment style. These children often get overlooked uh, by friends, family, relatives, even teachers, because they seem like they're quote unquote, such an easy baby because they never make a fuss. Hmm. I wonder why. Maybe they're not whimpering for you when you leave or when they're hungry or when they're sad or when they're sleepy because they have learned those, those communication skills which are age appropriate for them, they don't work. And then finally, the last of the three insecure attachment styles is called disorganized attachment. This type of attachment is characterized by confusion and fear when it comes to love and connection. And even just saying that, like, that's so sad that these babies, that these children are confused and afraid of love and connection. They are paralyzed. A child can develop disorganized attachment when they have not received consistent caregiving. Maybe they've been mistreated, neglected, or traumatized by the caregiver. This attachment style comes from chaos and inconsistency. It results in a child being fearful and avoidant as they don't know what to expect, but anxious and urgent in their longing to be embraced, happening all at the same time. So it's, it's a wild and chaotic and fearful internal experience. They don't know how to self-soothe, nor can they receive comfort from their parents because the comfort of their parents isn't reassuring. This disorganized template that they go by in life, they, it does not allow them to experience coherent, aligned emotions. And sometimes that can lead to chaotic and impulsive behaviors. These insecure attachment styles have the potential to leave lasting imprints on a child's life and into adulthood. And if this is the case, those attachment wounds are known as attachment traumas. Early childhood attachment traumas are the distressing and harmful experiences that affect a child's ability to feel safe, both in relationships, but also within their own body. It can also fall on a spectrum from mild to severe. When I start to tap into early attachment traumas in session with my clients, I can often see how it is linked to how they show up in their life as adults. 
I can see the patterns of inconsistency and anxiety and abandonment and shutdown and dismissiveness. I can see how they might neglect or become overly preoccupied with certain things that are happening in the relationship. And these are all things that we look at in therapy and take a deeper dive into to make sense of and gain some insight around and some tools and strategies to learn to cope with those tendencies and to find a way to reestablish safety both within our bodies and in our life and in our relationships. So these early childhood attachment wounds and these attachment traumas, they're like a norm that's been imprinted in our life. And they become a norm because most of them happen before we have memory of them starting. Most of these patterns happen prior to the age of three and are stored in the body. And so we don't actually have conscious insight until we start doing the work around like, oh, this is, this is not normal or this is not healthy. In doing this work for the past 15 years, I've noticed a link between my, my clients' early attachment styles and, you know, the potential attachment traumas they endured to the kinds of relationships they fall into as adults. Patterns of connection and disconnection happen in similar ways from childhood to adulthood if we do not address our origin story. Those that had anxious tendencies in childhood tend to have attachment wounds that show up in adulthood that make them react to their partner with mistrust, uh, maybe paranoia, codependency, um, fear of being alone or being separated from their partner. They are more prone to anxiety or jealousy when one partner has something to do or, or something that they must engage in outside of the relationship. Those that had avoidant tendencies in childhood often continue those patterns in, into adulthood as well. They, they may appear independent on the outside, but also do not form close or emotionally intimate relationships. They emotionally or physically isolate. They might be called distant or coldish. And then finally, those that had more disorganized tendencies in childhood, they may continue to find intimate relationships in adulthood confusing and unsettling. Pendulum swinging again between emotional extremes of love and hate for a partner. Remember, because their internal landscape is one of chaos and fear. My clients with disorganized attachment throughout their life, they crave the security and safety of a meaningful, intimate relationship. However, they also feel unworthy of love and terrified of getting hurt again. And sometimes that can come out as anger and self-sabotage. The emotional chaos that they experience on the inside, that it often leads them to engage in poor choices and reactive behaviors. This is my jam right here. Riddle me this. What happens when two individuals with two insecure attachment styles that have not been tended to and healed, what happens when they find each other and form a relationship? This is 
the beginning stages of trauma bonding. Trauma bonding is a type of attachment that can form between two people who have gone through a traumatic experience, either separately or together, but they reenact those experiences and and that chaotic dance, that toxic dance in their relationship. The feelings that I often see come up in my clients who are trauma bonded range from dependency and neediness to shame and fear to emotional overwhelm and paranoia to self-isolation and shutting down. The connection can feel powerful. The connection can seem very strong. It can feel genuine. And because of this, it can make it really difficult for people involved to shift the relationship or even leave the relationship when it's harmful. The trauma bond is formed as a result of regular cycles of mistreatment with periodic positive reinforcement. And sometimes the mistreatment is conscious and intentional, in which case you are in a relationship with an abuser. But sometimes it can come from self-sabotaging tendencies that come from past relationships or early childhood attachment traumas. It is a constant rupture and repair cycle happening over and over again, where the wound never really gets the opportunity to heal. In my upcoming book, Loving You is Hurting Me, I describe how the trauma bond is this painful yet intoxicating repetition of rupture and feigned repair because we're not actually healing that creates a powerful force of attraction. This trauma bond consumes our identity, our sense of safety, and our ability to trust ourselves. It can look like an intense love. It can feel like excitement, but then it's followed by periods of pain, neglect, and mistreatment. It is wild. It is chaotic. It is painful. It's thrilling, but it is not love. And then we have something called relationship ruptures. And a relationship rupture is different than being in a trauma bonded relationship. A relationship rupture is a break in the connection between two people. Now, ruptures are a normal part of all relationships because relationships are not perfect. This does not excuse ruptures happening, but they are still common. We make mistakes. We do something hurtful outside of the norm and it causes our partner to question the stability of the bond. A rupture breaks the safety that has been established, the rhythm and the pattern that has been established that makes us feel like we're in a stable relationship. It's sudden, it's out of the blue, it's bewildering. Sadly, when repeated ruptures occur without any repair, walls between people build and over time, the love that we have gets replaced by resentment and contempt. And we know from Gottman's work that these feelings cause a relationship to erode. Interpersonal trauma encapsulates all of these experiences when they are perceived at a severe level and when they make lasting impacts on our minds and bodies and relationships. Interpersonal trauma are any of these events, actually, in which we have been hurt by other people to such a depth that it changes how we react to the world 
and leads to a fight, flight, freeze, and fawn response. Interpersonal trauma can lead to PTSD. If any of this language has resonated with you, I would highly encourage you to process it with an attachment-informed counselor in your area who's also trained in trauma. These are deep topics, so much deeper than me glossing over them in a podcast. And you deserve to have your story explored when it feels right for you. Pain caused by others, especially when it's repeated over time, it's not easy to overcome. It's not easy to overcome for anybody. And it's okay to get help. Now, future episodes will take a deeper dive into some of these concepts that we covered today and more, but I also genuinely encourage you to find a therapist you can trust to take the journey with you. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. I'll see you next week.